Hey everybody, just another quick note here before we get started. This episode was recorded before the coronavirus outbreak. So in the background, you're going to hear the everyday sounds of normal school activity. We just didn't want you to think we're recording these conversations during the stay-at-home order. So I hope everyone's well, and let's get on with the show. Greetings, folks. Dave Phelps here with another episode of the Sacred Heart Academy podcast. The conversation you're about to hear today is a chat with Diane Black. Diane is the librarian at Sacred Heart Academy, and she's a homeschooling veteran with an infectious love of good books. If you don't know Diane, you're missing the opportunity to get some fantastic insights into parenting, into books, and in how to make literature sing for your kids. So enjoy this chat with Diane Black. If you were to boil down the thing you've, the number one thing you've learned, uh-huh. uh, homeschooling seven children. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing you've learned about books that mm-hmm. you've applied here. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say? That is? It would be that, um, first of all, as a parent, you don't have to know everything. Uh, you'll never know everything, and that um, starting with your children young, uh, but even if you can't, starting with your children old, whenever you can, to start showing them and learning for yourself the beauty of beautiful stories um, and beautiful language and typically um, that starts best when little ones are little Mm. but I found I came late to the show I mean I, I started with my own children and slowly learned and experimented and got book lists and went to book sales and talked with friends who were equally passionate about this and um, and then read a ton of books aloud. So I learned along with my children um, to weigh the different kinds of books that are out there and to see value in learning learning from from other people's tales of of adventures of you know, literally any genre, um, but through the written word and through the spoken word, because many, uh, we did start when the children were young, reading aloud primarily, and then as they could read, then they would take and read um, the books that we had. And we slowly built a collection as well, so then they had, as they grew, they had a lot at their fingertips. So that those books that I experienced with my children, um, now I've been allowed to buy for this library and collect for this library so that those books are available for these many families. Um, why, do you, why do you say uh, the importance of, of beautiful books and beautiful words? What is the... Because um, the, the sort of educational orthodoxy I think a lot of people are familiar with is, well, as, as long as they're reading. Yes. Right? Um, the library system, their philosophy, when, when our kids were young, their main mantra was read. And they had no, there was no judgment about what they're reading. Um, but that's from experience. Certain books, they open the children's eyes to wonder. Um, they open their eyes to different countries and different cultures and different time periods different struggles um, and it's really through the written word that the author brings about his tale also through illustration so that's mm. very high in my 
priority list is I prefer books with beautiful illustrations, which is why um, our library and my own um, is full of a lot of older books because that really was a, an art form that was very important to people mm. and it's become the art is different now it's um, generally different but the 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 book is interconnected with its pictures often um, if it has no pictures then the w written word itself is important and the descriptions the the way an author brings about character development. All of these things I watched in my own children. Um, the stories being talked about and sometimes acted out. Uh, Robin Hood is an example mm. um, where m the majority of our children played Robin Hood for years. Um, not just because of illustrations but because of the language mm. and the adventures that were happening and the humor in them. Um, how, yeah. how, how, do you, how do you find or know a beautiful book when you, mm. when oh you read one? Yeah. Because again, a lot of people think, well, as long as, as, long as my kid is reading yeah. something, right? But, but you're making a distinction between the sorts of things that open a mind up to wonder, and then presumably yeah. there might be those that would close the mind to wonder. And, and, if, and if one of the things that differentiates between those two is this quality of, of beauty, either in the word or the story, the illustration, yeah. how is one to know when you've landed on something beautiful that opens the mind to wonder? Yeah, that isn't, that's the question. Um, because I, I've been trying to put it into words for a long time now, and I, I find it very difficult. Um, I go by my gut in a, a lot of times, but in general, um, a book should Keep, give a child a view into whatever it's depicting um, with characters that grow that um, that are uh, gosh that's the word I want um, almost iconic hmm. um a little house comes to mind. It's it's one that all of the little kids always default to. There's thousands of books that I would like them to read besides just Little House. But Little House captured something. She had a her language. She was very to the point. Her characters grow. They express themselves and the the, the struggles in life. But there's a there's a purity and an innocence in these stories, and. Um, even though there's hardships, terrible hardships and things, some of the some of the later books they get very psychological. You're in the mind, and it's not it's not that that's all bad because we are psychological beings too. Um, but it's less. Uh, it's more like like real life right now. Like I've met this person and I'm psychoanalyzing them and they've got troubles in their hard troubles. And whereas the literature that I'm talking about, that I, that I, where I see it really transform children um, or build their, their imagination, is our, our books that um, help them to see things. It's not 
like it's not a psychological it's not a specific person in a specific specific situation it's children who are are growing who are learning who are having this experience but it's almost even though it's got a name that child's got a name or that young man who's growing into a young man who's growing into an adult um, has a name it's still almost what's the word I want uh, well I think there's a sense right where I mean the, the, you, you can put an emphasis on sort of realism right yeah. and try to portray in a story all the the nuance and all the wrinkles of a particular struggle or period of history or character's conflict or something mm -hmm. like this but the, the more layered and nuanced and and sort of you know quote unquote real you try to make it mm -hmm. the less you're sort of doing what a story does which is selectively uh, selectively provide information or detail. It can't yeah. provide everything. It's not right. a photograph, right? Right. And the more that you put a child in the position where you're not, so to speak, curating the event and curating mm -hmm. the challenges and curating the details, then the story ceases to be um, uh, an experience of a, a particular, an exercise of a particular type of adventure or moral undertaking, mm -hmm. and it becomes more just this, you're bowling them over with the full weight of, of right. life. Right. And while some exactly. people may claim artistically this is more legitimate, although that's dubious, um, the reality is, is especially for young children, um, you're not going to, you're not going to portray every uh, detail of, a, of the struggle of human existence right. for them. Yes, the um, that 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 is what I'm seeing. So I read a book. Um, it was in the '70s, written in the '70s or '80s. It was it was actually beautifully written um, about a family whose mother has a nervous breakdown, basically, and like abandons the children. And it's the hardship of that and how they survive. And it is. I mean, I was a little bit shocked by it at first, that this was children's literature, that this is something that people felt that was going to help children. Mm. Um, but I, I actually enjoyed it. But it didn't do what I'm looking for generally, generally for literature for children. It was too zoomed in on a particular psychotic problem and how it affected a, a bunch of children. It was a very heavy weight because this does happen and uh, you know uh, well I, I guess you run into this a lot with um, World War II stories you know they get pretty they can get pretty graphic they're mm. almost in it to shock children um, I'm not talking about high school students as mm -hmm. they learn as they're studying World War II you know you're gonna get some more of the, the graphic detail but I'm talking about literature that the point isn't to shock isn't to zoom in on a particular psych psychotic moment or whatever. It's not to burden children with the burdens of the world. It's to, what I want literature to do for them is to grow mm. something in them that is um, experience but not trauma. Mm. So they're not weighted down with the troubles of the world. Mm. If you read Shakespeare, you get every kind of human personality, virtue, vice, you know. But it isn't a, psycholo a psychological novel. Mm. 
um, that burdens you with things that you aren't ready to handle. Mm -hmm. It's like sending your children to the battlefront mm -hmm. as children. Mm -hmm. We would avoid that at all costs. Sure. And yet we do it over and over again, um, both in books and, and film. Um, so what I want for families, for the children here, and for my own children, is learning, but learning in a, in a way that protects their innocence, protects their imagination, builds their imagination, while pushing them little by little to grow. Yeah, to grow into those, to almost to practice their imagination, yes. right? I mean, to try to, if you try to stretch it too far, too mm -hmm. fast, you're going to, like a rubber band, you'll snap it. Right, which is the role of reading literature for your age and not pushing too far ahead, even though you can. Um, I do this a lot with, I, I've always done it with my own and, um, and with any that I can. I, I encourage them to go back and read some of the stories that maybe even are reading down, that they are adding these to their, like their pack. Mm. of experiences, of delight, of delight, of faith, of adventure, of, of other cultures in different times. And even though they may even be a little innocent compared to what the world is pushing us to now, um, what they have then is a whole pack f of these things to draw from mm. as they grow up, which, which then passes into the classics as they get into high school or, or middle school sometimes the high, the classics they're reading the classics and then they have this this lovely foundation um, of stories that then they can draw from as they read the classics and then they add the mm. beautiful there's a reason classics are classic mm. and then they add those and then as they go out into the world and they're in college and they're reading, you know, um, they can handle, they can handle the psychology, they can handle the, the psychoses mm. and the trials because they've had this firm and whole foundation mm. of, of, of innocence, purity and faith and, and, and beauty. What have you observed are the, are the biggest difficulties or challenges, say, for other children and or their families in establishing that foundation because you know like we said earlier it's it's easy for people to sort of buy into the notion that well as long as the kids reading yeah. I'm happy right um, and, and perhaps a lot of families uh, parents don't even know how to go about I a mean. more measured uh, cultivation of a child's yeah. imagination through age-appropriate stories yeah. so what what types of challenges do you have you noticed that families face in trying to get their arms around a, uh, a task like that of, yeah. of growing their children eventually into, into handling the, the deeper things but starting in, a, in an age-appropriate way? I think, um, I think it starts first with taking the responsibility of educating your children to, as your own. Um, I mean, Sacred Heart, they, they recommend that always to parents, you are the primary educators of your children, even if they're in full-time school, and that is beautiful. It's really hard for parents. I mean, I understand. If you're sending them away all day and you're paying for the school, and the schools, they're, they're such good teachers and they're doing such a good job, and they're reading such good things, you feel like you can't even begin. 
So I understand that struggle. I also think uh, there are other struggles that part, that are play into this. The role of technology, the role of movies, the role of sports, things, just anything that takes time. Mm. So we only have 24 hours in our day, and when the kids are tired at the end of school and they've been reading hard things, it's really hard to encourage them to read things. But I would say start with a book list, a good book list, or um, I, you know, a librarian's recommendation, um, but a good book list. Hmm. Um, some of the homeschooling schools have amazing book lists which you can resource, use as a resource, um, and then not take off too big of a bite, but to start. You know, some parents, some some parents, husband or wife, aren't good readers. They feel insecure. They're not. They don't. They can't read aloud. They're not experienced with that. But take baby steps. Pick one book for your family and just read it together. Um, for all the different ages, you know, get them coloring and making things, whittling, anything they can be doing, and just read aloud. Hmm. Um, Is there a book that comes to mind that you would say if you had to pick one book? I've, I came to you and said hey, uh, choose one book to get started on a program like that. Well, it would really depend on whether there's heavy boys or girls. It depends on what ages. It really would depend. There's several right away. I mean, I would choose Baby Island for little girls. I would, I would choose Narnia. Narnia is always the starting point for me because mm. it even, I mean, I didn't read them until I was an adult with my husband, and we read them. We raced each other. We couldn't put them down. Mm. Um, and we were adults. I had never heard of them before. So I, I've never met a child who didn't like them. Hmm. So, and they span all ages, and they can be read and reread. So that's where I guess where I would start. Hmm. Um, Lord of the Rings for older kids. If you're starting that with older kids, do it. Hmm. Yeah, start with The Hobbit, you know. Um, but there's innumerable that make wonderful read-alouds. Hilda Van Stockham is an author who wrote, uh, she was American, but she came from the Netherlands. Mm. Um, and she wrote delightful stories for children, uh, often taking place in the Netherlands, but mm. um, other places as well. Mm. Um, what concern do you hear uh, from, from families or parents when you, when you talk about, when you talk to them about these sorts of things? Is there any refrain or theme that keeps jumping in yeah often it's well we just or my husband doesn't like that or my husband you know likes to read off an iPad or um, you know we're too busy um, it's really pretty general um, some people want to do it and just can't seem to just do it um, there's so many there's so many experiences and I even understand being insecure about reading aloud, not smooth, mm. but then I recommend book reads, you know, audiobooks. Mm. There are so many incredible, Beowulf comes to my mind. Uh, it's my favorite story and I've told it a million times, but um, our son when he was eight, I had never, I had read Beowulf in college and asked my professor why we had to read this. I thought it was awful and didn't see the point and he just just rolled his eyes at me and said Diane you just have to trust me 
So I did, and I was an English major, hmm. despite Beowulf. Hmm. But <laughs> our son, when he was eight, um, took a, a retelling of Beowulf, The Dragon Slayer by Rosemary Sutcliffe. Um, it was read by Sean Barrett, who has an amazing voice. And Michael listened to it from start to finish. And at the end of the day, I was in the kitchen and he came to me and he put his little hand on my skirt and s just put his head on my leg and burst into tears, sobbing his heart out. He had completely been Beowulf, but Beowulf dies in the end. And mm. it, it came so alive to him. And I wrote my professor and said, thank you, Dr. Rice, because this little boy, because I, uh, you know, I knew from you that even though I didn't like it, that it was good. Mm. And this man read this book and brought it to life for him mm. in a way that I could never have done. So audiobooks, mm. the Bethlehem books has a huge audio collection, mm. wonderful stories, every single one of them good. Mm. You don't even have to know whether they're good, you just order them because they're good. Yeah, this really is a, a golden age for, for audiobooks. It and really is. And even though, I mean, the debate can be had about whether or not um, cramming in one other uh, type of media mm -hmm. in a, in, you know, through technology is good or not. Yeah. Uh, we'll put that to the side for a second, but, but the reality is, is that never have, has it been so easy to get such good and cheap access right. to uh, really quality readings. I mean, y years ago, I, m I remember when the whole uh, LibriVox initiative started, and I thought, oh, yeah. what a wonderful thing. But you know, the the, the audio quality was middling at yeah. best, you know. But yeah. um, which which is fine. Um, but uh, but now there's so many uh, different things available to people at higher quality right. than ever before. Um, well, and it can help. It can just help these parents who feel overwhelmed, who really don't feel confident of their reading skills. Yeah. You can set your kids up under the kitchen table with an audiobook and a coloring book and have they can have the time of their lives. Mm. And even even non readers or slow readers can enjoy that. Mm. And if the parents participate then there's more chance. Mm. But we have to value it and that's that's been quite a struggle mm. because some people just weren't raised with it. Mm, yeah. You know, if you have the culture of just going away to school, you really don't experience it then. It's happening in the classrooms, I know. The children are, are having their eyes awo awoken, you know. Um, but for the parents aren't seeing it, they know they're grateful to the school, but they don't see it themselves. I guess what I'd like to say is that one of the most important things for a family culture is to have a common culture. Hmm. And so when you're reading aloud a book, you can, mom is laughing, hmm. or dad is chuckling, or, you know, Janie is laughing hysterically at the silliness of somebody. Hmm. And so everybody. It, all, all the family participates in that. And then when you're down the road a ways, it's like, remember when? You know, mm. you, you never know when that's going to happen. You can't make it happen, but it opens such doors to common experience for the family. Yeah. So then they have that language and they can quote from yeah. that story, especially if they've read it more than once, you end up having favorite parts. Um, and I would say that that bonds the family. 
mm-hmm. um, in a way that, I mean, movies can do it. A good movie watched together can do that. Mm, Princess Bride, you know, we mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. laugh at the jokes and mm-hmm. quote it all the time, and it's so fun. Yeah. Um, but it's such a wholesome and bonding family activity, which is where the audiobooks would come in if the parents are insecure and don't know where to begin and just, sure, you know. Sure. I want to make use of dinner prep time exactly. or, the, or the drive or something yeah. like that. You know, there's, I think we've talked about it before, this, I think it was maybe National Endowment of the Art. I'm not sure if they still have this program, but uh, years ago they had this program called The Big Read. Are you familiar with this? Did we talk about this? Uh, I think you mean. Yes, essentially how it worked was um, they would go into cities, would partner with um, National Endowments for the Arts, and they would have they would create these uh, like year-long campaigns, and local bookstores, local libraries, local schools would all be sort of signatories uh, of a sort to this initiative. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Big Read, and the idea was to get as many people in a city reading the same book at oh the same gosh. time. And so the the idea was very much what you said, but on a, on a large scale, which wow. is why don't we give people with a common city a common experience around a common book that gives them a common language, right? Wow. And, and, it's, and it's through a common language that a community finds its bonds. Right. And what you've just said, it seems to me, is, is, is very much the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, but of course on the much more fundamental scale, which is yeah. the family scale. Well, and then it can be zoomed in on the uniqueness of each family. So, you know, we've got little boys here who come and they check out their sport books and we've got little girls who are checking out little house and we've got you know all different in between um, but if a family takes a book um, and I'm thinking more than I mean it can be a biography mm-hmm. it can be anything mm-hmm. yeah but the the better the literature the more um, well I want to say a reputation I tend to um, look to the older books because the language and the writing is almost always just richer and better, mm, better sure. formed in general. In general, yeah. um, I feel that content is hugely important. Mm. Um, although, if you're going to read, you know, a book that's a little more on on the edge, a Harry Potter or something, then at least read it as a family, so that the parents can see what is happening and can instruct mm. as they go along or we read um, this is an example of that we read aloud to our children Pridane, the mm. Pridane Chronicles sure. um, I read all of them aloud and we had a couple little ones in the room I'd say four years old at the time and it is it's a scary book it's got lots of good versus evil mm-hmm. um, and and a young man growing into a, an adult themes so you know not really appropriate for a four-year-old, but mm-hmm. we had a big family, sure. so the the kids, little ones, were playing mostly, but hearing every once in a while. But what it did was, every once in a while, we would stop and we would discuss what was happening, so that I had a chance to address that with the little ones, like, or instruct them just to go out for a little while, while because this was a scary part, and um, I remember particularly in that book because I was reading it for the first time as I was reading it aloud and I cried many times in that book and um, you know it's a you're vulnerable you discuss things with your children your children see you have those emotions too 
um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And even if, I mean, I, you know, I have my thoughts about Harry Potter, but even if it's going to be a book that has more like that in it, I recommend parents take, do it with your children so mm. you know if that, you know, what, what is going on with your children. Yeah. And yeah. then you have that conversation. It's so rich. It can be, even when we're not intellectual, we're just parents and we don't know how to do this. Yeah. Um, it's a starting point for communicating with your children. Yeah. Um, but there's so many lists of the thousand good books, you know, John Senior's lists and uh, Mother Divine Grace lists and yeah, and it's, it seems to me as well that any any parent looking to get an easy start, if if they're already I don't know homeschooling or they're in a classical school or something like yeah. this, if they're already on, on on their way to pursuing education along these lines, mm -hmm. it seems to me that you know even if they were to take time with with whatever book their child is being yes. assigned, right? Just taking the time to maybe grab an extra copy exactly. right from the bookstore and, and just read along with it. I and highly recommend that. Someone's already doing the, the yeah. job of putting it into a syllabus and pacing it out. Yeah. You know, may, maybe it's worth the, 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 the 20 well, minutes a night. Especially because the books that are chosen are chosen for reasons. Sacred Heart, I mean, I can only speak for Sacred Heart. Right. Um, but. Uh, this was true in homeschooling as well. You don't always have the time to do everything. You can't read every book. Right. But to take one and read it, or read a chapter aloud to the child, or um, have them read aloud to you, any way where you can experience that with the child and have conversation about it is huge. And the school is already doing so much of the work by choosing the book for you, so that even that it takes that out of your you know, if you feel overwhelmed. Um, I, I remember Laura Berquist once spoke and she said, she was guiding parents who were homeschooling who were very busy with a large family. And she said, you don't have to have read every book that your child is reading, but you learn to ask questions. Mm. So uh, sit them down while, they're, while you're cooking dinner and just ask them questions about their book. Have them tell you, you know, what do, I, what do you want me to know about this book? And mm. asking questions, showing interest. These are all ways to help children learn to love to read mm. and learn to love the read, to read good things. Um, it's a little bit of a, an experiment because each child's unique and they, not all of them are captured by reading. For sure. sure. Well, there's also, it also seems to me, even encouraging a parent to, to learn to ask questions or take the time to just ask questions, it yeah. seems to me to be a, a cure towards what could be a mistake behind that sort of motivates some parents' anxieties or fears or, or you know, being frozen in the headlights of getting started, which is, yeah. which is this. They think that perhaps that education is something that we do to the kid. Yes. Right, it's done to the child, and because you're the parent, you have to have the answers to provide the answers. You have to have the answers yeah. uh, to, you know, or, the, or, or the path forward to impose it upon. When in point of fact, whatever education is, is, is probably something a little more interpersonal than that. And, mm -hmm. and so if you don't have time to say, uh, quote unquote, be the perfect teacher of, there's no reason why the child can't play that role right. as the teacher. So to speak, right? exactly, and and the, and the parent can can ask the questions, and 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 it's more in the exchange um, yeah. that's going to happen. But th that's but again, that's a function of time and attention. Yeah, it is. 
It is. I um, often a child also will say, "Oh, I don't know." Oh, they, they, you know, they sure. don't. It takes energy and thought to answer a question like that, and so it's just a little perseverance. You know, it's like I want to know. I I've never read that book, and I am so curious about that book. It sounds like your teacher chose it for a reason. And tell me about it. You know, and just persevering with the child. Um, any parent can do that. Anyone. Yeah. I, you know. We don't all have to have gone to college and had English degrees and read a ton to ask those kind of questions. Sure. And then you can, you know, get a sense. Now, I kind of know what Sacred Heart has for reading, but you know, if you're if you're out there in the world, in the public schools and schools are giving you different things or public libraries, they're not they're not necessarily going to have the same foundation as you, and or or have the same values that you want to pass on to your children. Um, this is where I feel it's a great gift to be the librarian here because I'm, I'm so happy to give recommendations um, on any genre. So I'll just give lots of choices to mm. for a child to mm. pick from or a parent. Um, we have staff that come and check out books here. Mm. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean you can't check out a, a, a children's book. Mm. Um, because there are there's just so much richness in it even for the adult mind mm. um, just slows us down and helps us to regain wonder and awe I think it's hugely important it's so exciting mm. um, but we're not all in the same place and so there's room for everybody to get a little touch of it you know and mm. um, mm. Well, let me shift gears a second here. So, okay. I wonder if if you were. I mean, you've been you've been at this parish for how, how long? Have, have you been? Uh, the parish. Ooh, I don't know. Ten, twelve years. Okay, so it's a, it's a while. Yeah. And uh, so you've you sort of seen some of the um, changes here over the years yep. in the academy, and again, we're we're a few years into it now. Um, imagine you were being asked to um, advise. Uh, another parish or another school mm -hmm. uh, who, are, who are looking at their curriculum and maybe considering a, a change. Perhaps they're moving to a classical curriculum, uh, perhaps not, but, but, they, but they know they need to do something different mm -hmm. with education. Um, is there anything that stands out to you that y you have uh, learned or observed here that you think would be good for a, another parish or school to know um, as they were considering some sort of change. So do you mean specifically for curriculum or do you mean either as way. a librarian? I, either. Any, anything that you've noticed either in your capacity as a librarian or even just your capacity as a parishioner sort of mm -hmm. watching this thing. Well, the first thing I, that pops in my mind um, is uh, I have an extreme gratitude for having homeschooled for 25 years. Um, and we had many friends in the homeschooling community and um, a, a very rich and very, you know, experience within homeschooling. Um, and 
but at the end, the last two children, we were able to participate in the beginning, the very first days of Sacred Heart starting the CEC program, the homeschool partnership. And so we were in it when it was really rocky and bare bones. Mm. Um, and right away, I have such gratitude for the mixing of us, the longtime homeschoolers with the longtime schoolers. Mm. And it was not easy and not, and it was rocky, but it was, it has been beautiful. I have loved it because when you're, when you're homeschooling exclusively, as rich as that was, you don't always have that opportunity to come together with others who are different from you and look, just have different experiences. I mean, it's a very different experience to go to school full time, yeah. public school or private school. Um, what this did was it allowed us on a common, in a common ground, as in we were all Catholics. Uh, well, the majority of us were Catholics, I guess. Even, there were even a couple Protestants in there. Um, it was delightful to get to know other families. We weren't being asked to inform each other about what we were doing or anything. We were just meeting together because we were together the kids were in school at the same time, and um, and as this program has grown, the the CEC students and the full time students, they have their bumps and bruises from having to learn about being with each other and thinking charitably about one another. So that's the first thing is, it's been very rich, mm. melding the two, mm. um, and then being allowed to reform our library here has been, I think, a huge blessing for me because it takes what I've learned from curriculum and from literature in homeschooling, all those different grades and all those different mm. children, different sure. types of children, um, to now put it into practice and to offer what I've learned to others, and I'm still learning. I'm learning all the time. Um, and and how to be patient with people, because we're just trying, I mean, hopefully we're all trying to get our children to heaven, and we're trying to give them the best that we can. And but we're all different. Mm. We're all at different places. Mm. And the school's trying to do it too, but they're all at different places, and we're all we're all in this mishmash together. Mm. And I love that experience. And if um, Father hadn't invited the homeschoolers to come and begun forming that curriculum, which is like double the work mm. for the staff and the administration, uh, it's just a crazy amount of work. Mm. Uh, to put the CEC students with the full time and mm -hmm. run these classes at the same time and mix them up at lunch and mm -hmm. you know, um, if they hadn't been willing to do that, we would still never have met unless we knew each other at mass. Mm. Yeah, and it has passed over into mass. The the mixing of the masses, the Latin mass and the new mass. I love it. Mm. I like being mixed up with people, and. The conversations have been good, and there've been some tears, mm. but it's been really good. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, one of the things 
I've, I've observed something very similar in that I think there is, um, especially these days, uh, the, the families that, that make the choice to homeschool, there's, I mean, there's a thousand reasons for people to make that choice, but it's not uncommon to find um, in those families some level of uh, suspicion or skepticism or even mistrust with um, different type of you know, public schools or even private schools mm -hmm. or frankly even Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. um, and um, But at the base of that um, there is this uh, serious willingness and commitment to uh, play that role as a primary educator and that doesn't mean that the only way to do that of course is to, to be a homeschooler. It, it just means uh, being willing to uh, take on that responsibility uh, mm -hmm. of being the primary educator. Um, and but, but it seems to me that just by virtue of inviting uh, uh, those families, those homeschool families, uh, to play an active part in the culture and community, this isn't obviously no way to discredit anyone else, but, but what that signals to all the parents, whether they choose to homeschool, whether they choose to send kids here full-time, whether they uh, tend to come here part-time, whatever mm -hmm. it is, it's, it, 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 it sends a signal to all the parents that we are here at, at your service, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the parish is here to serve the family in that vocation. Mm -hmm. And that acknowledgement alone, I think, sets a different sort of foundation about uh, for, for for a Catholic school, and and I think that's maybe hasn't always been the case even in Catholic schools that that message was clearly communicated that we're no, here to I serve you as opposed to we're here to do something to you. Right. You know? I think that's easy to fall into. Yeah, I because do you're working really hard. It used to be you know your homeschoolers are taking their money away from the, the diocesan schools or the private schools and they're mm -hmm. doing their own thing. Um, it, you can get a reputation very quickly of being better than others, thinking you're you know, snob, snobby, looking down on others. Mm -hmm. I think it happens, I mean, I would say that there are, there are people who do fall into that. But we, the, for Brian and I, um, the most urgent reason we homeschooled was because we didn't have time. We didn't have time to wait for the schools to get a better curriculum mm. or for the schools not to be trained by the public system. We were, our children were school age now. Right. And there was no place that was, was choosing what we felt. Mm -hmm. It was too psychologized or whatever yeah, you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It was too um, worldly and not that we're saints. We're not. We're trying. We're just trying to ex give the richness. Um, we had both been public school and we were given zero, mm -hmm. nothing. And so seeing coming out of college and seeing what we'd missed, yeah, right. we just had this urgency. And not everybody's had that experience. We just, you know, we can't read other people's minds, but for our children, they were growing too fast. So we had to homeschool. Well, having, having a school choose curriculum, that was what I was using, was d the most delightful thing to discover. Yeah. And um, 
Or imagine even just, I know this is for, for, from our point of view, is it just being able to say, hey, we want to collaborate with you on this. Yes. You're welcome here. Yes. And, and it's not going to be exactly. us versus you. Because right. I agree, there there is, uh, when we first started homeschooling, there was sort of this tone of contentiousness between, you know, homeschools and, you know, Catholic or diocesan schools or private schools, yeah. whatever it is. It was framed as being contentious, and you were immediately looked at, you know, with, with, with a with the stink eye. Mm -hmm. um, who, who are these people, and they're not of us, and they're, you know. But just having a welcoming, inviting yes. invitation to collaborate and, and have it be sincere, yeah. that alone, I think, is, is probably worth its weight in gold. And, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, I, th I think people would be surprised if, if you actually just make space and hospitality, yeah. and which takes a, a certain type of skin in the game. It takes a certain type of um, courage because uh, the first thing you have to admit when you do that is, is that um, maybe I can learn from these people showing up mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I do think that there, there is more to it. Um, I think the liturgy plays a role in this. Father's mm. love of the traditional Mass and his love of the new Mass, and his, he wants all. He wants us all to love the Mass. And that overflowed into our school. He saw, he knew so many homeschoolers that he served elsewhere. And then he saw, you know, a school that was going to die, and he's like, heart breaks? No, we have to have a Catholic education available. Mm -hmm. I don't want to close a school. And so melding the two but it flows from that love of what is ancient, the love of what is beautiful mm. and noble. And that is what I'm trying to make clear in the library, mm. is that it's, it's not just classical, but it's noble, it's lovely, mm. it's sweet, rather than it's angst-ridden. Mm. It's, you know, Bitter. evil and fighting. It's not just, I mean, evil fighting good, that's good, but in these twisted ways where symbolism is topsy-turvy and kids can't make, there's no order. Mm. And order, that's why classical schools have such value, is they teach order. Latin is very ordered. It's all part of the whole picture. Mm. It's what makes this school tick. And it's what makes the communities be able to work together. Because, because there is that movement within the homeschoolers. There was coming out of a rough system, mm. out of the public system. So where, where emptiness, nihilism, you know, mm. your, your literature is catching the rye. You know, yeah. it's, there's so much more. And that's there, and people started to discover it. Mm. And that's what's so beautiful. But now we have to, as in anything, we have to keep that understanding. It's like, this isn't an accident. This comes out of a love of, I mean, I don't want to be trite. The, the good, the true, and the beautiful. You know, I mean, we use that a lot. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means that we're, it, it doesn't mean that we don't read 
about evil, mm-hmm. right? But it's it's uh, it's noble. It's somehow even little my little book, Baby Island. It's pure imagination, but it's but it's innocent imagination, and so it just grows in the children. It's like it's if you're fed on that, it grows. Mm. Whereas if you're fed on ugly Star Wars books, you know I, I like Star Wars, you know, <laughs> but I mean just cheesy, cheap old Star cheap. Wars books yeah. that are written by a computer. You know, mm. <laughs> you're not growing anything. Yeah, and we don't know. We don't know when we haven't had it. We don't yeah. know. Yeah. I um, I went to Hillsdale College. I wasn't Catholic back then, and I felt like uh, my world exploded when I got to college and I saw the kind of literature they were reading um, compared to what I had read in high school. Mm. I couldn't believe it was true, and all the way through elementary school. I don't think I ever read any classic. Mm. Um, so, you know, I just want so much more for these children. I feel like that's why God allowed me to do what I did then, so that I can pass this on now. That's, mm. it's like it was, it started selfishly for my own children, and now it's, I can take that wisdom. Not that I know everything by any means, but it's a start for an elementary library. Um, and I want that for everyone. I feel like that. Now I have the faith, and it's the same thing. Now I, now I want the faith. Mm. So now I want all that literature that I read in college, and I want more. I want, mm. <laughs> you know, for, for our children. I mm. want the, the deposit of faith taught to our children through the Catholic literature that we didn't touch on mm. in college. So, um, yeah, I mean, it never ends, right? Until, I guess, we get to heaven, and we're, we, even if we take baby steps all the way through <coughs> our life, mm-hmm. and we'll make mistakes for sure. But, um, yeah. I like cheesy, cheesy literature, too. Freddy the Pig, Scarlet Pimpernel. You know, hey, but every once in a while, you got to just put some yeah, cheese on the salad, right? Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't all have to be serious, for sure. So I'm not recommending reading the lives of the saints 100% of the time. It's not like that. Yeah, no. There's a, there can be a beauty in in just uh, in, in in the last 10 years or so. I, I was scandalized. I, I I have I have two degrees in English literature, uh-huh. and in, in neither of them had I ever even heard the name P.G. Woodhouse. Uh-huh. And, um, uh-huh. and 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 there's a, his books are so innocent and in a sense almost simplistic, almost formulaic. Uh, but, there's but they're delightful. But they're delightful, and the, and, uh-huh. the, and the language is so masterful. Yes. So it's it, it, yeah. So I think it's important to say too that it's not necessarily you know it's not like um, it's not like the sort of thing we're talking about is necessarily well if you're not it's not if you're not plowing through the the, the complete works of Herodotus and yeah. you're not doing it right. No, you know, no. It's, um, there, there's there's plenty of beauty. Yeah. I used. Um, Jane Austen as an example because I went all the way through college as an English major mm. and never read a Jane Austen um, uh, among many other things that we never touched on. I mean you only have four years and right. you know there you are. But um, when I discovered Jane Austen I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. And 
how exciting is that though? You know, here I am, I'm, you know, there's just, we just keep discovering yeah. things. And we grow and we change and get a different taste, you know, and we decide, okay, we're gonna try now. Yeah. Try to read Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, or whatever, so. Yeah. Well, there's plenty to discover. Yeah. And you're, you're doing a wonderful job. Uh, I can attest to that. Just w with my own kids in this library, uh, people listening to this later won't be like, we're, okay, we're in the library. We're surrounded by these yeah. books that you've, you've built for people. But, um, but you've done a wonderful job. Thanks well, for Well, so, I do want to say thank you to Sean and Zach because without them saying, it's time, do it, and them saying, yes, buy these books, yes, get rid of that. I mean, that is... That's miraculous hmm. um, to be um, to have two young people. Well, it's like you said before that uh, a book can become uh, a common experience, which creates mm -hmm. a common language, which creates a common culture. Mm -hmm. And so, taking the time to cultivate and curate mm -hmm. the books is by those two steps removed curating and cultivating the culture mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you're after, right? So yeah, it's, it's awesome. It is awesome. Thank, Thank you for you taking the time. Thank you, David. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed it. I also hope you'll pop up to the Sacred Heart Library, say hi to Diane, maybe spend some time with the wonderful collection of books that she and the staff there have curated. Hey, if you're a parishioner at Sacred Heart, or if you're a member of one of the families at the Academy, and if you're interested in hosting a conversation like this one, please reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. The more of these conversations we can have, the more we can share what is happening at the Academy, the better we can fulfill our mission of this apostolate. So I look forward to hearing from you.